This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Ryan Bruss. Thank you, Sid. Today on Messianic Vision, our special guest is Carrie Kirkwood. And, and Carrie, just right off the bat, many Christians understand that Jesus redeemed them from their sins. And because of this, they're right with God. But you say there is so much more to redemption that we need to learn to really embrace. Talk about the, just the broad scope of what redemption is. Well, redemption is more than salvation, although that's the greatest thing that ever happens to any person in their life. But once a person experiences that, that they have been delivered from sin, they've been brought out of darkness, out of spiritual bondage and slavery, then the, the power of redemption has paid a price so that all the things that God really intended for us in the very beginning was to be brought back to us. In other words, we didn't come out of captivity empty, came out of with all the things that God had spoken to us that we should have. For instance, Isaiah 54 says, All of your children should be taught of the Lord, and great peace shall be upon them. No weapon formed against them shall prosper. So part of the redemption is we have the right to call our children back into a relationship with God, call them back out of the bondage they were in, out of all of those experiences. And in doing so, we can just begin to see that redemption is, is, is bringing things forward into the now and not just from what it used to be. And there are many people listening, I, I can only imagine, that need restoration in their, in their family, in their finances, in their life, in their body. Uh, that's what your brand new book is about, Pursue, Overtake, and Recover All. What a, what a title for a book. And You have a story, though, how you learned to do that. Yeah, this really began uh, a few years ago. My wife, uh, Diane, and I were in Houston ready to do a conference, and we stopped at a, a restaurant called the Joe's Crab Shack. Never beaten there before, right on the interstate, getting ready to do the conference. And uh, we sat down at the table, hadn't been there very long. The waiter came over and said, uh, named the car that I was driving, said, did you come in with a broken window? And I said, well, no, I didn't have a broken window when I came in. He said, well, you have one now. So went out there, and the um, side window was smashed and glass laying everywhere. And my briefcase, and Diane had a tote bag with some, some books and things in it that she was reading, and they were just gone. I had notes in my briefcase that uh, I was uh, on a book that I was working for, just my handwritten notes I was working towards. And the uh, thief probably thought there was a computer in it, which I didn't have that day. Uh, my Bible and everything that I was planning on being doing in the conference the next day was gone. So we felt pretty violated at that moment, went back to the hotel. So we were trying to decide, do we, we go buy new Bibles and, you know, get ready for the conference? What do we need to do? And so we just started praying. And my, my wife said, well, I just hear the Lord just saying, uh, you know, which was First Samuel 30, when David lost everything in Ziklag. And uh, after he had an encounter with the Lord and he's praying and worshiping and interceding with God, God tells him that he is to pursue, overtake, and he would recover all. And so she said, we're not to give up on this. 
And I said, you know, Houston's one of the largest cities in the in the world, and it's like a needle in a haystack. How would we find that? She says, I don't know. We're just supposed to pursue. So we understood those three levels of principles, step one, step two, and step three, for that to happen. And so we took them each step at a time. I eventually uh, called back my answering service back home, thinking that maybe somebody found a card or something. And that's exactly what happened. A man called and said, are you Mr. Kirkwood? If it is, call this number. I called the number, and it was a couple of miles from the hotel. He said, I went out to put the trash in those big commercial dumpsters. It was so windy, I had to go around on the other side. And that's when I looked in to put the trash in, and I saw a briefcase. And it looked nice, and I thought, I don't know who would throw this away. I pulled it out and saw the books and the tote bag, pulled it out. He said, I cleaned it up and said, are you a, a preacher? And I said, yes, I am. He said, well, I noticed your notes there, and I hope you don't mind. I copied some of them. <laughs> and uh, so we, we went a couple of miles down the road, and, and we had recovered all, did not lose one thing. So we began to realize the, the three steps in uh, pursuing and then uh, overtaking and then recovering all and how those things would operate that way. Now, does this work for every area of our lives? It is everything that you have a promise of God on. It can be with finances. We have had experiences financially. It works over churches. It works over families. We've seen it work over uh, marriages, any relationship, because when Jesus died, he died for a relationship and to restore us back to a relationship with the Father. And when he, the Bible says before he ascended, he first descended, and he led captivity captive. He brought the captive ones out, but he kept them captive. In other words, he kept us captivated to him. And he wants to see us restore what the enemy stole in the Garden of Eden. What Adam gave up, which is called the first Adam in the Garden of, of Eden, the second Adam, according to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Jesus, the second Adam, uh, brought back into in the Garden of Gethsemane. What was lost in one garden was restored in another garden when he says, Not my will, Father, but your will be done. And so we see that if we have the eyes of the Spirit to call back into place what God had already given to us, then, then it's that buying back which was bought and paid for by the, the Spirit of redemption. Well, let me ask you um, a tough question. The in in our lives, things happen to us, like happened to you with your breaking the the guy breaking the person breaking into your car. There's many things that happen to us in our lives like that. Maybe the uh, loss of a loved one in this or that, or you lose your job. And I understand how we can pursue, or we're understanding how we can pursue, overtake, and recover those things. What about the people out there who have made big mistakes, whether it's uh, adultery? some kind of sin, you know, and they want to get right with God and they want to uh, do what is right, but they have this past that is haunting them. And how does a person like that begin to pursue, overtake, and recover all when they feel responsible for the th bad things that have happened? Great question. Well, number one is some, when I say recover, it's not just recovering as it once was. So in other words, person's true. Oh, that's good. With an addiction, God's not restoring them back to an addiction. He's restoring them back to what God intended before the fall of man. And so a person could even have a loss in life, uh, a spouse uh, pass away. Obviously, you're not going to bring them back. But there is a restoration and a recovery about maybe bringing you into another relationship 
or bring you into an, an intimate relationship with the Lord that, that causes that to be restored in a greater way. So when we talk about recovering and restoring, it's not back to what we think it should be. It's back to what God intended for it to be. And that's, that's one of the definitions for blessing is declaring or stating what God intended for something to be, not the way that it appears at the moment. So restoration is not about restoring it uh, as we had once happened. God always brings us into the greater glory, which is into what his intention to be. So a person has uh, you know, so many mistakes in their past and have sinned. Then they begin to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, which is actually his faith in us, not to be restored to survival mode, but to be brought back into a place of fulfillment, what God intended before the fall ever happened. So if I'm hearing you right, in essence, even though things happen, uh, good, bad, and ugly, and of course there's repentance and certain things like that, but at the end of the, the thing, God can make it better than before it even happened, your whole, your whole situation. Exactly. When you look at Acts 3, verse, uh, verse 19, and he says, Repent and be converted for the times of refreshing, which is resuscitation, shall come from the presence of the Lord, and uh, whom the heavens will hold until the time of restoration or recovery, restoration of all things. And he will make all things new. But he didn't say, I will make all new things. He said, the things that I have made, I'm going to make them new. And naos is the word there which means to restore it to manufacturer's original specification. God is the originator, so he's not looking to bring it back to what we originated, which was sin and failure, but to bring it back what he originally thought and intended for us, which is a greater glory than what we ever could have imagined. I really like that. It almost sounds like Romans 8.28, where he works all things, good and bad, together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit more about redemption. It's kind of a big word that some people may not really understand, but you have a real revelation on the power of redemption. It's not just like you said, what he brought you back from, but what he's bringing, what he's taking you to. So talk a little bit more about the power of redemption. Well, when you understand that redemption is, is a payment for, for what uh, was lost and you can recover it, for instance, if a person went to a pawn shop and, so, and they, would, they pawned off something they really thought was precious, the Bible talks about the pearl of great price hidden in the field, and uh, you, had to, you sold that, but you really wanted it. Well, when you brought, came back and paid the price that, that they gave you with interest on it, that was the re, it's called redeeming. You're redeeming what was really yours. And so redemption is God redeeming what was his that Adam gave away in the fall, that we, are, we belong to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So God's redemptive price was the blood of Jesus. And when the blood of Jesus spilled on the ground that day in Golgotha, it had a sound. And that blood has a sound that rings out today that even caused an earthquake to happen. The Bible says that even the tombs of the dead saints that have been dead centuries previous to that came out of the tombs. So that same redemptive power through the blood of Jesus is still operating with us. Everything God does, he does through covenant, not wishful thinking. And he has made a covenant with his son for us. The covenant wasn't made to us. It was made with his son. So he said, when I see the blood, Exodus 12, that the death angels, a spirit of destruction, will pass over. 
So because of the Father honoring the Son, then we become part of the recipients of that. Now, according to the Romans 8, he talks about that Jesus is our elder brother. He's the firstborn among many brethren. And Deuteronomy gives us the principle of that in Jewish culture, was that the firstborn was um, allowed to give a double portion. And I know many people have prayed, you know, um, for a double portion. Double portion doesn't necessarily mean twice the amount. But the double portion was the amount that was given to the firstborn son. The firstborn son was the executor over the estate of the family. In other words, there's going to be a will, and that elder brother, he's the one to make sure that all the siblings and everyone in the family receives it. So on the day that Jesus died, he took his own blood into the Holy of Holies, because there's a, the, according to the book of Hebrews, the real tabernacle is in, is in the Holy of Holies in heaven, is not, not the one that Moses had, which was just a, a type of one. He puts his blood on the mercy seat, just like the, the old high priest did here. And when he puts his blood on the mercy seat, he, as an elder brother, the firstborn son, he's the only begotten of the father, then he receives his inheritance first. And, and Psalms tells us what that inheritance is. It's a messianic promise to the son and saying, I will give you the heathen, which is nations, for your inheritance. So when Jesus put his blood, and he put the redemptive price there, and that the, the devil had pawned us, taken us, and when his blood was put on the mercy seat, the payment had been made in full, and then God the Father gave to his son the nations, all the people of the earth, the nations, and now we belong to him. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. That's the day when the reading of the will took place. Jesus says, told him to go and wait in the upper room, for the promise of the Father. The word promise there, the Jewish culture understood, that means that there's something that your Father is going to give you, like the reading of a will. So if you think about it, like if you were a family and you had someone pass away that was in the testator or the one who guaranteed the payment, that the value of the estate is there, then you're waiting to read the will. So Jesus saying, go in there and wait because there's a promise coming in. What would the Father of the universe, creator of all things, give to those that are waiting? The thing that he would most cherish and say, this is the most important thing for you. Well, we know on that day that the Holy Spirit came, and that was the inheritance. Jesus got the, the, his inheritance first, the nations, and then he gave us, his siblings, the power of the Holy Spirit and he would not only be with you, but now he's in you. That is the power of redemption. The Holy Spirit inside of us, speaking to us, because Jesus said he's going to take of everything that I have, and he's going to give it to you. In other words, he's going to be the disseminator of the estate of, of the Father, and he's going to reveal to you the things that I have said to you and bring it back to your remembrance. So now the Holy Spirit is inside of us telling you, telling all of us, that um, here's your hope and future that the Father's redeemed you. You don't have to be in that condition or that position. I want to show you a way out. He's redeemed you. The only way that you stay there is because you don't understand the price has been paid. The, the door to the jail has been taken off the hinges. You don't have to stay there. And so the Holy Spirit is the revealer of the secrets of the heart, and he wants to bring us into a, a spirit of redemption where we realize what, what God has really given for us that we may not be enjoying. 
Okay, now you have a brand new book. We said it at the beginning, Pursue, Overtake, Recover. I mean, <laughs> what a wonderful uh, three words about what this is going to be about. Real briefly, what is this book going to do for people? Well, it's, it's going to be a, a good application. Sometimes you read books and they're really interesting, but you, and you finish and you think, well, what do I do? I, I agree with it, but how do I do it? So I quickly give you, going back to 1 Samuel 30, where David lost all of his family, even his, his um, soldiers and guys they fought with that they were bonded with, they were like the band of brothers. They were in such grief that they even turned on, on uh, David at that moment, and he was hearing talk of, of um, stoning and killing David. So David had to disconnect himself from all of the things that were being said about him and to him outside. And this is what leaders do. Leaders get alone with God, and he said he inquired of the Lord. Inquiring of the Lord just doesn't mean asking questions. He put on the linen ephod, which was the garment of the priest, because David was he, he was a, a king, but he was also a priest, but he was also a prophet as well. Those three elements are key to this. So David is now inquiring of the Lord. He's worshiping. He's honoring the Lord, even though he hears... He's right in the middle of hearing all of the chaos around him. So, first of all, you have to be able to steal your heart, though what your the circumstances are in your face and they're difficult to swallow. Instead of enhancing and magnifying the problems, you have to magnify the Lord. Because whatever you magnify, you empower. So he starts magnifying the Lord. So step number one to pursue is a foretelling. Revelation 19.10 said the spirit of prophecy or foretelling is the testimony of Jesus. What does Jesus promise you? He's our redeemer. What is he saying to you? And what is the word of the Lord over you? So once you have that word, you're you're starting to prophesy that, um, you know, my finances are going to turn around, that the Lord has given me promise that he will prosper me and give me health. And so that's my word. And so I'm, I'm prophesying that, and that's step number one. I'm pursuing. I'm moving forward with it. The second step, overtaking, is uh, James 2.14, where it says, Faith without works is dead. If I'm believing God that had something uh, redeemed for me, but I'm not making steps towards it, then I'm not moving in faith. Faith is different from believing. Believing means I, uh, in my mind I know it's possible, but faith means I'm moving towards it because I believe it's more than possible. It becomes my reality. And so you keep moving forward, and you just keep going after that. You're prophesying that, the, that this will be recovered. My life will be restored. My health will be uh, exactly what the Lord said because he sent his word and healed me. So you contend for that. You continually believe for that. And then lastly, 2 Corinthians 2.14 is talking about I'm recovering. Now, remember, when David went and recovered everything that was lost, there were some men that were so overtaken by grief that they couldn't even go with him. And part of the men that went with David that, that scored the victory, they said, why should we give anything of the spoil? Because not only did they get their own, their own families back and all that was lost in the spoil, but they took all the spoil that the enemy had taken. So the enemy has to pay back as well. So they didn't want to share with, with the others, but with, with the recovery is that we're generous with it. We have to adjust ourselves to living in a new dimension, not living out of just, well, I'm, I'm thankful I, I came out of that, but now I'm living in a, a, a place of generosity 
that God's blessed me so that I can bless others. I want to use this 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 recovery, use this uh, miracle that happened in my life to benefit others. And so that's how you hold and maintain what God has given you. Now, you also did a four-CD set for us called The Rights of the Redeemed. What's that about? Yeah, The Rights of the Redeemed is talking about how that, that we have rights, just like a citizen of a country has rights, that a foreigner doesn't have the same rights. And so as a rights of the citizen, you have, you have a place of covenant to talk to the Lord and saying, my, because of the blood covenant, because I made a covenant with my family, uh, concerning my family, then I stand in that authority and I call back into place what has been lost. James 1.17 says that every good and every perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights, which is a key word, Father of lights, meaning glory, throne room experience. Every good and every perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights, throne room, and uh, in whom there's no variableness nor shadow. He's not a, he doesn't change his mind, and that he, he's a giver of that. So every good and every perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning or changing. So the concept is, if God has sent it from the throne room, the Father of lights, and he sent it to, to us here on this earth, the children of light, that's what Matthew 5 says, that, we're, that Jesus is the light of the world and, and we are the light of the world, then between the Father of lights and the children of light, there's a disruption in the heavenlies, that first heaven, if you will. And we can see that in Daniel, the 10th chapter, where that um, Daniel has read... He reads actually in, in Daniel 9, uh, chap, chapter 9, verse 2, where that the 70 years of captivity for Israel had already ended, but nothing had changed. So they were to be redeemed, but there was not any change. They were still in captivity, even though the penalty that Jeremiah prophesied over about was, was over. And so, but they hadn't seen any change. So the rights of the redeemed, Daniel is now pushing the issue. God, you said, your word said that the seven years is over, so what is happening here? And you know the story how that um, the, the angel comes and said, Daniel, I heard you on the very first day, but the prince of the power, the stronghold over Persia, where he was, was resisting and hindering him. So here's my point. It is possible for the, the rights or the benefits that God says, this belongs to you, for you and your family and your household, but the enemy, the prince of the power there, is interrupting what I have sent from the father of lights to the children of lights, and points in between is disrupted. So you have to know the benefits and the rights of your redemptive power to wrangle out of the hands of darkness to bring it into your family, to bring it into your life, in your, for your family, and don't just say, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. Yes, it was God's will. He FedExed it from heaven. And he's giving you the tracking <laughs> number, and now he's saying, "What are you going to do about it? I'm going to pursue. I don't want. I'm not going to stop until I I take back what the what belongs to me." Hey, man, so this is this is good teaching because you don't have to live without. You don't have to live in lack, and and you need to get a hold of this brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, and Recover, in the brand new CD series, The Rights of the Redeemed. Now, Carrie, when we come back. I want you to talk a little bit more about how we can learn to prophesy over ourselves. We'll be right back. 
Jesus said, The thief, Satan, has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you life more abundantly. Carrie Kirkwood has received a revelation from God on how every believer can begin to access all the promises that Jesus has obtained for us through his redemption power. Call now and get Carrie Kirkwood's powerful brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, Recover, and his anointed four-part audio CD teaching series, The Rights of the Redeemed. This is an exclusive offer for our rich supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $39. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9555. Through Carrie Kirkwood's brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, Recover, you will understand the realms of your redemption and begin to walk in the reality that Jesus has already established for you. Discover five dynamic keys which will give you access to the very throne room of God. Understand how to reclaim every blessing from God that has been lost or stolen by the enemy. Experience the power of redemption to receive healing, deliverance, supernatural restoration, and other miracle blessings as you understand how to appropriate Jesus' redemptive work in your life. Through Carrie Kirkwood's anointed four-part audio CD teaching series, The Rights of the Redeemed, you will understand your rights as one who has been redeemed. Discover the weapons God has provided to you that will bring back the things the enemy has stolen from you. Learn how to pray differently than you ever have before and with the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. Find out the rights you have to lost or stolen wages or assets. Discover how to reestablish lost relationships. Find out how to recover your inheritance from God. Learn the power you will receive when you begin agreeing with heaven. Included on these audio CDs are powerful prayers for you to begin flowing in the redemption power of God every day and access your healing, your miracle, your breakthrough. Don't miss out on getting Carrie Kirkwood's powerful brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, Recover, and his anointed four-part audio CD teaching series, The Rights of the Redeemed. This is an exclusive offer for our rich supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $39. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9555. Call or you can send your check to Sid Roth. It's Supernatural, P.O. Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. Please specify offer number 9555. Or log on to SidRoth.org. Call or write today. Okay, we're back with Pastor Kerry Kirkwood from Tyler, Texas, and we're really learning how to pursue, overtake, and recover. And as Kerry was talking, I know in my own life things I have to grab a hold of in a fresh way for myself. Now, Kerry, in the last segment, you were talking about how we need to prophesy over ourselves. Can you explain that a little more? In fact, you have a story about that, that where you learned to prophesy over yourself. Yeah, years ago I was um, just finished a meeting and I was driving home late one night and I was, I was really exhausted and tired. And I was feeling sorry for myself, you know, being tired. And, and I said, <laughs> Lord, you know, I prophesied over all these people for the last several days and, and uh, no one ever prophesies over me. And immediately I heard the Lord say, prophesy over yourself. And I said, is that legal? <laughs> and, and I thought, well, I know myself too well, so therefore you can't do that. And then immediately the Holy Spirit says, says you don't know yourself as well as you think you do. Mm. Because the Bible says, what man knows his spirit, save the spirit in him. And so I said, all right, I'll at least give myself a good word and count on that. <laughs> I just started prophesying, and I was so shocked because I was saying things over my myself that my mind would would not have grasped, 
and uh, I was hearing things come out of my spirit, desires of my heart and for others and my family, that perhaps that I, my faith level would not have allowed me to go there. It's like praying in tongues in the spirit because your mind is unfruitful, your spirit is uh, stronger, and your spirit knows the will of God more than our mind does. So out of this prophecy came. So now because I'm hearing myself prophesy things that I've never thought of before, because for me, true prophecy is born uh, not in your mind, but comes out of your spirit, and then you hear yourself saying it simultaneously. And so now it became prayer points for me to pray, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for me. And I could begin to pray, and I saw answers to prayer because I was praying something was born out of that. As I said in the last segment, the spirit of prophecy, which means proceeding, and the word uh, prophecy has inside of the word potency or potential. Just like the life is in the seed, there's potential in that seed, but it has to be planted. So when we, we're prophesying, then we're planting the potential of that seed. I've had... People tell me, said, well, I received a word. I don't know if it was from God or not, so I just put it on the shelf. And I tell them, as best as I can tell, looking through Scripture, I can't find anywhere in the Bible that talks about a prophetic shelf. So if you put something on the shelf, like seed, it didn't get planted. And when you go back next season looking for a harvest, do not be surprised there's nothing there because it didn't get planted. So the purpose of prophesying over ourselves, because the Bible says speaking to ourselves and one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, is to have planted the Word of God in us. And once that Word is planted in us, now we can pursue, we're prophesying it, and we're watering it by saying, this is what God's going to do, this is how it's going to take place, and, you're, and then you're beginning to overtake because you begin to see it happening. Part of prophecy is the ability to see. Ephesians 1, 18, and it's an apostolic prayer that Paul prayed. I pray that the eyes of your, your heart, not your head, the eyes, not the eyes of your eyeballs, but the eyes of your heart, your spirit, may be enlightened so that you can see the, co the hope of your calling your inheritance. So the word enlightened is a key word. It is the word photizo. We get the word photograph from. And he said, and the original would sound like, I pray that the eyes of your heart, your spirit, would take a picture of what I have for you in your inheritance. And so by pursuing and prophesying over yourself is that you have, now you have a picture. Because words create pictures, and pictures can create destiny or a direction that we're moving towards. So if you could just break this down just a little more about practically how does someone, now you were driving in the car, correct? Correct. So how does someone practically begin to prophesy over themselves? Because this is powerful. Well, I would suggest, first of all, they, they enter into a place like David did, inquiring of the Lord, is that you just, you just enter into worship. You disconnect from the problems. You cannot enter into a place of, of, of a prophetic flow while you're filled with the cares of life. The cares of life choke the seed from what Matthew 13 tells us. And so part of that is you disconnect through worshiping, setting your heart and your affection on the Lord. When there becomes this, this state of intimacy, this state of tender, affectionate, 
moving towards the Father's heart, my experience has been there becomes this dialogue. And I start with him. He'll just start sharing verses of Scripture back to me because we believe that the absolute word, the Logos word of God, we call the Bible, the said word of God is absolute. Anything else that I say may be, you know, interpretive at that point. But everything we prophesy has to have a precedent in the Word of God. So we're saying that as you begin to hear a verse of Scripture, you can write it down, and you just begin to declare that over yourself, um, that healing is the children's bread. So if you're believing God for healing, so Lord, your Word says that healing is the children of bread. So now I use that for prophecy. I declare over my body that that Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you, and he gave bread. I take the broken body of Jesus that was on the cross, and now through the covenant of resurrection, power of resurrection, I declare over my body that this body is healed because it belongs to Jesus. And Christ in me, the healer, is now inside of my body. So I'm prophesying the healing. I'm pursuing healing. And as I begin to say, Lord, I thank you for healing, I had to speak over my body to heal, that's, that's that um, overtaking. In other words, I'm moving towards receiving that. And then once I find healing, I'm in recovery mode, say, God, I thank you that, that you have healed me. I give you praise and, and worship you that you've healed me and my body belongs to you. And because you're using the word, is the whole thing is not returning void. Exactly. It accomplishes what he sent, because he sent his word to heal. It's not just a hearing word, it's the saying word that accomplishes. And faith comes by hearing. So some would think, well, why do you need to prophesy? Why don't I just read it? Because there's something that when we say it, it involves more of our sensories than, than just reading it. When I, we, we say it, we hear it, our brain was involved, and as one thinks in his heart, so they become. So if we can, we can change our mind to align with the Word of God. Uh, I have a book called The Power of Right Thinking, and it's about if God can change our mind about things, then He can change every part of our life. And so part of changing, redeeming our mind, because He's saying uh, that we're renewed, restored, by the renewing or refreshing of our mind. And so our mind now is prophesying, and as one thinks, so He becomes. As my mind now thinks, believes, confesses, declares that I am the temple of God, my body is healed, there's something about your body is submitted to what we're saying and we're thinking. Now, along this line, um, you teach about blessing versus cursing. And in times past, uh, you know, people have taken that to an extreme. You know, you, you can't say this or you got to say that. But you have a real solid teaching on blessing versus cursing. Basically, you say that blessing is speaking life over something to be as God intended, and cursing is speaking deadly things by only saying how they appear at the moment. I've never heard it said like that before. Can you elaborate on the blessing versus cursing? Yeah, the blessing is simply is, is seeing something through God's eyes, declaring on earth how, how God sees it in heaven, in essence. Because before the fall, uh, Adam saw everything through the glory of God. Their bodies were covered with the glory of God. They had no clothes, but they were still covered by this radiant light of the glory of God. So when Adam would look through his eyes, he would see it filtered 
through the glory of God. He would see Eve, his wife, through the glory of God. After they ate of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, which is now their mind has been perverted, they've accepted an alternate thought, and the glory of God departs from them. The first time Adam sees his wife, he starts blaming her. God, the woman you gave me. Eve blames the devil. You know, the devil, he's the one that did it. And so they no longer sing as God sees it. Blessing is seeing it through the glory of God or through the eyes of God. So, for instance, you can have a child on drugs instead of saying, you know, you're killing me, man. You're just, you're, you're, going, you're on your way to hell. You're tearing your life up, and nothing good is going to come out of that. So you're, you're just simply stating what is in the natural. But when you change that and begin to see God intended for this son, daughter, not to be on drugs, but intending the blessing. So now you see them through the creative eyes of the Father and saying, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. You're, you're a gift of God to my family. I love you and I receive you as, as God brought you into this family and you're going to excel. You're going to be a, a son of promise. And though at that, that moment they may be a mess, it's not about lying because you're seeing it through God's eyes, declaring those things are not as though they are. Things we see are temporary, things we don't see eternally. So blessing is seeing it the way God sees. But if all I'm doing is just reporting how bad the problem is, I'm cursing. Cursing means to place something in a lower position than what God said. If I speak, you know, well, you're stupid. I can't believe you ever did that or even thought that. That's cursing because God doesn't say over someone you're stupid. He is declaring over you have the mind of Christ. You come in the opposite spirit. So we break the power of cursing because the Bible says, tells us in, um, in Proverbs that a curse cannot come to us without a cause. So a curse can't come to me unless I'm cursing. If I'm cursing, I've built a nest for that bird, as Proverbs uses, to come and build a nest in me. And then people wonder, how come I have all these problems? It's because I've been cursing, and as, as one sows, so will they reap. And you teach in your book about taking thoughts captive, but I want to jump back to something uh, uh, briefly here. How does somebody with an overwhelmed heart see the way God sees? You know, that, like, for instance, the um, uh, analogy you gave that somebody's son is away from God on drugs. Uh, in fact, I, I'm thinking of, of a family that I know personally, and I know you've encountered this many times, I'm sure, as a pastor, or if not thousands of times. But you, you have somebody sitting in front of you, and maybe let's just say it's a single mom, and mom is there, and uh, her 14-year-old son, 15-year-old son is is really messing around with drugs and getting into trouble, and their heart is full of grief, and they're overwhelmed. How does somebody like that, though they're, they're born again, they love the Lord, how does somebody like that begin to see the way God sees when their heart is so heavy? Well, the enemy loves to stick our face in it and saying, now, where's your God? How's this working? And he always, the devil's always talking to us about our past, and God wants to talk to us about our future. So the key is to move yourself into the future and being able to see, as I gave the verse in Ephesians 1.18, ask the Holy Spirit, what does it look like to have a son and daughter drug-free? Remember the story when God told uh, Abram, said, you're going to have a, a son, and Abram couldn't figure out how this is going to be at his age. And he tells him, they're going to be like the sand of the sea. He didn't even have a son at that moment. But he tells him, step outside, which probably was in a tent. 
He got outside of his tent because the tent or the enclosure shows you nothing about except where you come from. Get outside of where you are. Look up. Count the stars. Wrap your brain around something that looks like what God is saying. So begin to set a, a godly imagination or image, what it looks like, and then you declare over that son what you're seeing. I declare them that you're a man of God. Though at that time he may be, you know, seem like hell bound, but you come in the opposite spirit. Do not agree with the devil. Don't go by the circumstances or what's seen with the natural. You begin to come in the opposite spirit because it takes the spirit of God to break the, the power of the enemy. So if all we're doing is repeating how bad my son or daughter is and, and how I don't know what's going to happen, then all we're doing is fueling the, the circumstance. You come in the opposite spirit by declaring, what do, you, what do you believe is God's will? I've written it down at times. What do you believe is God's will for your life, for your son? And you write it down. And that's the, the point that you pursue, the prophetic pursuit that you keep declaring that and praying that over. God always honors his word. You know, it's not about the need. It's not about when he, the Son of Man returns, will he find neediness on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? The Holy Spirit always responds and moves according to what God said, not to how we're feeling. Boy, Carrie, this is good, practical, wonderful teaching. Thank you. And you have your brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, and Recover, and your four CD set, The Rights of the Redeemed. Everybody listening, you need to get a hold of this special resource. It is powerful. It is thorough. And it will teach you how to, like it says, pursue, overtake, and recover. When we come back, we're going to hear from Carrie about how you were made to be feared. We'll be right back. Jesus said, The thief, Satan, has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you life more abundantly. Carrie Kirkwood has received a revelation from God on how every believer can begin to access all the promises that Jesus has obtained for us through his redemption power. Call now and get Carrie Kirkwood's powerful brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, Recover, and his anointed four-part audio CD teaching series, The Rights of the Redeemed. This is an exclusive offer for our rich supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $39. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9555. Through Carrie Kirkwood's brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, Recover, you will understand the realms of your redemption and begin to walk in the reality that Jesus has already established for you. Discover five dynamic keys which will give you access to the very throne room of God. Understand how to reclaim every blessing from God that has been lost or stolen by the enemy. Experience the power of redemption to receive healing, deliverance, supernatural restoration, and other miracle blessings as you understand how to appropriate Jesus' redemptive work in your life. Through Carrie Kirkwood's anointed four-part audio CD teaching series, The Rights of the Redeemed, you will discover the weapons God has provided to you that will bring back the things the enemy has stolen from you. Learn how to pray differently than you ever have before and with the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. Find out the rights you have to lost or stolen wages or assets. Discover how to reestablish lost relationships. Find out how to recover your inheritance from God. Learn the power you will receive when you begin agreeing with heaven. Included on these audio CDs are powerful prayers for you to begin flowing in the redemption power of God every day and access your healing, your miracle, your breakthrough. I started seeing 
in my own family things that were lost in uh, relationships and even finances and started seeing them recover. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to seek it out. So the power of redemption will really train you how to go after and seek after those things that are lost and you recover them and bring them out of darkness back into light. I have to tell you that you have a gift, you know this, a gift of teaching and you bring out, it's like the devil wants this fuzziness in us. Mm -hmm. So I believe the anointing and the teaching of the Word will remove the fuzziness and you will be all that God called you to be. I want the fuzziness gone and get about your destiny. Don't miss out on getting Carrie Kirkwood's powerful brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, Recover, and his anointed four-part audio CD teaching series, The Rights of the Redeemed. This is an exclusive offer for our rich supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $39. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9555. Call or you can send your check to Sid Roth. It's Supernatural. P.O. Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. Please specify offer number 9555 or log on to sidroth.org. Call or write today. We're back with Carrie Kirkwood and we're learning about the power of redemption and pursuing and overtaking and recovering. And you also teach, Carrie, that we were made to be feared. What did the Lord show you about that? Yeah, it comes out of Psalms 139 and, and it's the verse of scripture where most people see it and it rightfully so about, you know, the unborn child and, and the life that God created and uh, the pushback on abortion. But in the beginning of this verse of Scripture, Psalms 139, he says, And we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And I was praying one day, and the Lord said this word to me, and he says, Carrie, do you know that I've made you to be feared? And I, I didn't quite understand. I said, Lord, I don't want anyone to, to fear me. I would rather, if I had the choice, them like me if I could. <laughs> and he said, no, you don't understand. I've made you to be feared. And he took me back from the very beginning, you know, when Lucifer, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, talks about Lucifer was called uh, the morning star, and Jesus was called the bright and morning star. So we see that Lucifer was um, a worship leader. Most people have heard that teaching. He's in the throne room of heaven. He's in charge of the light and the sound. The glory of God is intense there around him. Pride enters his heart. He's cast out of heaven. He moves from being one of the princes of the, in the glory and the light of God, and he's cast down. His, one of his original names was called a light bearer, one who bears the light. He's now cast down to the planet of darkness, and he's called the Prince of Darkness now. So Lucifer, the devil, understood the power of the glory of God. And what he lost in the throne room of God can never be gained back for him again. And when the devil sees a born-again believer, and he sees Christ in them, because Colossians 1, 26 and, and 27 says, Christ in you, the anointed one, is the hope of glory, the expectation of glory. Meaning Christ being in us carries, he's the Lord of glory, there's glory in us. So when the devil sees, sees someone, he is very afraid. He tries to convince us he's more powerful than we and tries to throw out darts of fear and, and uh, 
accusations and all kinds of things to, to diminish and, and suppress that glory. But the very thing that cast him out of heaven many, many years ago was the glory of God. And now he sees the glory that's in you and I, which is the redemptive work of Jesus that brought us back in to glory. And he sees that glory that he can never gain, he can never have again, and it reflects his darkness. And so, therefore, he hates us. And God's saying that I've made you to be feared. When the enemy sees you, he sees his, the glory of the Father, and he says, I've made you to be feared, fearful. Not other people to fear you, but the prince of darkness to fear you. And he said, you need to leverage that. And when you pray for sick, you want, I want you to see that the devil is afraid of the glory of God operating in you. When you lay hands on people, that's the glory of God that's pushing back on darkness, that the devil can never have that access because he, is not a re, he can never be redeemed, that we are the redeemed of the Lord. And when the redeemed of the Lord say so, we start leveraging and saying, because of the redemptive power of Jesus, and then that glory of God starts manifesting, it causes faith to rise. There's a confidence that rises within us so that we pray with, uh, without just, oh, I hope so, or wishful thinking. We're praying because the very glory of God that kicked the devil out of heaven is now the glory of God inside of us. So in essence, just like in the Old Testament, that Moses had the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the tabernacle that was hidden behind the veil, inside of that Ark were three strategic uh, elements. There was Aaron's rod that budded, which speaks of, you know, authority and fruitfulness. There was the pot of manna that speaks of revelation, the bread, uh, the bread of faces, the relationship, revelation of who the Lord is. And then thirdly, the, the law, or Ten Commandments, was there, the saying of God, the prophetic sayings of God. And on top of that ark was the mercy seat where the blood was applied. So... That Ark of Covenant is no longer uh, a necessary part of who we are, though it is a great symbol that, that speaks of God's glory. God confirmed and confined himself in that box to a degree for, for, the, for the Jews during the wilderness. That has been transferred from God has moved from the inside uh, to, to you and I, because Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll no longer just be with you, but now he shall be in you. We are a, a, a virtual Ark of the Covenant new and a new covenant. The mercy seat has already been put upon us. The blood is upon us. And inside of us is the pot of manna has revelation. There's the authority of God to, re, to reclaim and redeem us to fruitfulness. And then there's the word or the sayings of God. The prophetic sayings of God is moving out of us and through us. That Jesus said in John 6, verse 63, the words I speak... Their spirit. They're not vocabulary, their spirit and their life. So we have been made to be this carrier and a courier of the glory of God so that the enemy is afraid of us. Just like the enemy was afraid uh, of the Ark of the Covenant, that where the Ark came, then the power and the glory of God was manifested. And we carry that same if we understand that the right rights of a redeemed believer, we carry that same glory inside of us. Now, you had mentioned briefly about worship. Where does, in, in this teaching, where does the power of worship come into play? Well, it, it is so key. It's, it's everything part of our life because, again, whatever, whoever we magnify, then, then we, we, we glorify, we, we 
make it bigger than the enemy. So when we begin to worship, the devil uh, wants to divert us away from that because it releases the throne room, the glory of God. And we know that the Bible talks about as his name is, so is his praise in Psalms 48. And that when you when you see how powerful worship is, and it's described in Revelations 14.3, that says that the song of the redeemed, they can only sing the song of the redeemed can sing the song. Angels can't even sing the song of the redeemed. And then the Bible talks about where he said an angel down, he said, measure the temple and those that were in, that, that were in the temple were the worshipers, but do not measure those on the outside. Those on the insides are the nations, the inheritance of Jesus. Those on the outside, I believe, are the goat nations that are sent off into the wilderness. The goat nations meaning those without covenant. So he talks about how worship uh, is releases this redemptive covenant flow between the Father and, and the people of God. Let the redeemed say so. How do we do that? We're by declaring the goodness of God and, and the intimacy of the Lord and, and His grace and glory begins to hover and come upon us. And then out of that becomes this saying, these prophetic proclamations, like the, the law was in the ark, it is the sayings of God, that comes out of you and I as the ark of God. Now, you also talk about, you know, worship is a weapon, of course, and and uh, I love your teaching on that. You also talk about our four specific spiritual weapons. Can you touch on that? Yeah, they're key to understanding the power of redemption. The Bible says that distinct four particular things, and there's other, I think, offshoots of this. But number one, he says the life is in the blood. We see that in Leviticus 17, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so the life is in the blood. Uh, when when Abel was killed by his brother Cain, the blood speaks out. So we know that life, meaning the creative uh, power of the Lord God, the Zoe of God, is it's in the blood. The second one uh, is life is in the sea that we see in Genesis 3, where he says that when God created everything that had seed-bearing seed in itself. So God wasn't recreating trees and recreating you know, plants, every time a tree was cut down, he had to say, let there be another tree. The seed had in itself the ability to recreate. So if a person's holding a handful of apple seeds, they're not only seeing a seed that can potentially grow a, a, another apple, it has a potential for another orchard or for a legacy. So when we talk about having the redemptive word, we're talking about the potential, the seed. The life is always in the seed. Inside that little seed is a packet of power, the energy force of the Lord Jesus. And then the third one, he said, the life is in the word. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And uh, so we, we, with that, the word, speak the word. And his word is, is life and spirit. So when we use the word of God, we're releasing the, one of the weapons of life. Instead of hollering and screaming at the devil, we just remind him of what God said. The devil doesn't care what we said. It's what we said. What, and the angels and ministry, the Spirit always responds to what God said. Genesis, when God was speaking over, over the chaos and darkness of creation, and when God said, then the Holy Spirit began to brood. So there's the life and, and the Word. 
And the fourth one I just mentioned was life in the tongue. Power of life and death is in the tongue. And James talks about the, a ship is moved by such a little rudder and like the tongue. So a person can grasp these four elements of life and incorporate them into their family, into their uh, their normal life uses during the day, how they communicate with one another, how they communicate in terms of dealing with problems and issues, apply these four elements, then there's nothing that can happen except God releasing his life over each one of these areas and seeing the power of God to reverse the curse and advance the blessing. Now, speaking of power of redemption and redeeming and the blood and the things that are happening in our lives. You had a dream about the U.S. as it relates to uh, redemption. Yeah, I'm not uh, a dreamer like a lot of people have dreams all the time. I know we all dream, but there's a very few dreams that I knew that when I awoke that God was speaking to me and and in a very um, uh, powerful way. And in this dream, I was seeing a map of the United States and scattered around various states, I saw uh, little firebrands, just small little firebrands like they were flickering up in each of the states. And I watched it, and I started seeing that these firebrands started connecting to where eventually they started spreading to where the whole map of the United States was on fire, that these were prayer groups, intercessory prayer groups, that were praying in small pockets, and now they were praying the same thing. And they were praying redemptive prayers, calling back into being what God said and what God uh, proclaimed over us. And when they became so redemptive and so united and praying the same thing, the whole map lit up. And then in Washington, D.C., I saw these hideous demons like coming up out of the fire that they couldn't stand it. It was torment and torture to them to hear pray like this. And they were coming out. They had blood dripping from their fangs, and they were screaming and, you know, leave me alone, leave me alone. And they were leaving Washington, D.C., just like like just ashes just jumping up out of the fire leaving. And the Lord spoke to me while I was still in the dream and saying that these demons are leaving Washington, D.C. because of this fire of intercessory is mm. connecting the whole U.S. He said, but there's a short window of time that revival will come upon the nation, and you must pray that it will hold in, United, in Washington, D.C., and there's intercessory prayer must continue to pray these redemptive prayers that keep keep these uh, these demonic spirits that have have taken ground in Washington because they will want to come back and they're going to bring international uh, demonic regional uh, principalities with them stronger even than themselves. And so, but the prayers of the saints will uh, prevail and avail if they keep praying these redemptive prayers and pray that revival holds and it continues on beyond just that space of that short window. Amen. I mean, revival is redemptive. That, that is so exciting. Carrie, would you just pray over those listening? Whatever comes to your heart through this whole teaching, people are overwhelmed and they need to recover and they need to overtake. And would you just pray that eyes are open right now? Lord, according to, to Ecclesiastes, first chapter and verse five, you said, where the river once flowed will flow again. God, that you are God of redemptive cycles, not linear thinking. And where I pray over those people that have lost hope, 
that they've lost that sense of direction because of years and years of not seeing it happen. But because you're a, a cyclical, you're a God of redemptive, and you bring the Alpha and the Omega together at one point, I speak over these lies that have been discouraged and without hope. Those that have been hope deferred, I release the hopefulness of the Lord God on you, that your eyes begin to see what the Father sees, that the Spirit of the Lord would give you the imagination of His heart, because you were created in the image of God, that you would see with the image of God, and that you would begin to pray the heart of the Father, and you would see a connecting together and agreement, speaking the same things, seeing the same things. And may the Lord bless you and cause your family to come into the redemptive power of the Holy Spirit, that nothing the Lord has will keep from you to them that walk uprightly. So it's not a matter of the Lord has withheld from you. It is just you stepping into your redemptive rights. God is just. He is justice. He is just what his word says. And when you rely and you contend for his word, then justice is released and prevailed upon you. And may the Lord open your eyes to see you the redemptive rights that he has already paid the price for you. Amen. Amen. Now, you've been listening to Messianic Vision with our special guest, Kerry Kirkwood. And now here's Sid to tell you how you can get this special offer. Kerry Kirkwood received a revelation from God on the power of redemption. This will affect every area of your life, your relationships, your health, your finances, and much more. In his brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, Recover, and Four CD Set, The Rights of the Redeemed, Kerry will mentor you on how you can tap into the redemptive power of God to reclaim what the enemy has stolen in your health, in your finances, in your relationships, and yes, even your destiny. Call now for Carrie's brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, Recover, and his four CD set, The Rights of the Redeemed, for an investment of 39 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Kerry Kirkwood's brand new book, Pursue, Overtake, Recover, and his four CD set, The Rights of the Redeemed, offer number 9555 for an investment of 39 U.S. dollars. Be sure to ask for offer number 9555. Once again, that's offer number 9555. 